yeah, yeah. I mean, bringing it back to, to snowpack, you know, that stuff drives soil moisture. And, and, you know, you need moisture in your soil to grow vegetation. So healthy vegetation comes from having moist soils. And the Southwest has been in a drought for such a long time that, you know, these high snowpack levels down there, I think are needed more than they're, they're hindering anything, you know, like in Southern Utah and in Arizona and New Mexico. So yep, it's, it's, it's good. It's good to have that, that mix. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Hey, Rock Sliders, Robbie Denning here. Welcome back to the Rockcast. As winter kill is on everybody's mind this year, uh, I thought let's talk a little bit more about how we measure things that relate to weather, winter kill, like the weather. Um, as hunters, we'd like to think we're the ones doing the mule deer management. But I learned a long time ago from a biologist that we just trim around the edges. It's really the weather that has the final say in how many mule deer will be on the landscape. From hard winters to drought, mule deer live in a precarious world of extremes. Too dry and our fawn production is hampered and the population begins to shrink. Too much winter and not only does fawn recruitment slow down or even grind to a halt like this year, the older age classes of adults begin to die off too. If we could control the weather, we could ultimately control mule deer populations. Since that's not remotely possible, I've learned to be a student of the weather, constantly taking into account when making decisions on where and when I'm going to hunt. On today's podcast, once again, we're going to go right into the heart of the beast, and we're going to talk to someone who works with the weather for a living. He's a friend. He's a longtime rock slide rider. He's a hunter. He's a husband and a father. And pertaining to this podcast, he's a hydrologist. I'm talking about Josh Boyd. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thanks, Robbie. Good to be here. You bet, man. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Josh is a hydrologist for the Forest Service. He works in Northwest Montana. Uh, he spent 20 years up there uh, measuring snowpack and doing other things I'm sure he'll tell us about. And he's also had the same career in Southeast Arizona. So if you think about it, Southeast Arizona, Northwest Montana, probably no two greater climate extremes in the lower 48 than those two places. And he's got to experience them both. Uh, because Josh is a hunter, he's paying attention to the same things we are, you know, fawn recruitment, um, antler growth, health of the habitat. And because he's out there all the time, maybe measuring these snowpacks or lack thereof on some years, um, you know, he's got a good working knowledge of it. And I've talked to Josh about this for years, just when I have questions um, about, about winter and things like that. So uh, it'll be an interesting discussion. Um, uh, Josh, good to have you, bro. Um, how's the weather up there this winter? You know, it's, it's been cold. <clears throat> hasn't been as snowy as it has been in the rest of the country. We're, we're in one of those spots this year where we just haven't gotten a lot of snow um or precip <clears throat> for that matter but we are we're healthy it's just we've had a lot of snow on the ground for a long time it just hasn't been excessively deep or full of water like the rest of the rest of the west 
Gotcha. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So for a lot of you buck hunters that are out there, uh, one thing I wanted to share, and I've paid attention to this for a long time, is is some of the stuff that's available through the National Weather Service, uh, the NRCS. I, I don't know what all those um, acronyms stand for. Josh can go into it. But I've, I've watched winter kind of unfold graphically through some of these products that they release. And snow water equivalent is one of them. And um, it is correlated with winter kill. It's not the only predictor of winter kill or we're talking about winter kill because that's what's happened to a lot of the West this year, but also lack thereof. You know, some years uh, the the snow water equivalent is 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 also predicting that hey, these animals are doing pretty good. Uh, but I, I still don't totally understand how it works. Um, you know, I've got it saved on my phone at least once a week. I, I pull up uh, you know the the graphs for the Western states. I'm, I'm interested in, and um, it's, it, you know, it's color coded. It will show you percent of water equivalent for uh, the, the, the maps I look at or for a certain basin. Uh, Josh will talk a little bit more about, you know, other maps. You can look at, you know, wide, wide scale. You can look at small areas, uh, but it, it's good stuff to have in your brain and, and to kind of know how it works when you're trying to plan some hunts. So, so that's uh, why I've got Josh on here to kind of fill in the gaps of anything I've, I've butchered here over the last 20 years using it uh so so josh just tell us a little bit about snow water equivalent and how it's measured you know things like that and you know really what it is yeah so snow water equivalent is basically the amount of water that's in the snowpack measured in inches so <clears throat> you know when you look at any of the the data that comes out from the NRCS, which is the Natural Resource Conservation Service, they're yeah. the ones that tabulate and house and produce different snow products across the West. Um, you know what, what they what what they measure is you know the depth or what they want to see measured is the depth of the snow and how much water in inches that snow contains. Because so, and that's one thing I've learned is we can have a lot of snow. There can be 20 inches of snow in my front yard, but there's still not very much water in it. Yes. Yeah, so you know what you would be looking at would be a, a low density snowpack. So, you know, when we go and measure the snow, so let me back up a little bit and say that the there there's two main measurement sites that the NRCS and operators that measure the snowpack kind of employ. There's the Snowtel site, which stands for the snow telemetry site. It's the automated sites that you see online. It's almost real time. Um, it, it gets beamed out either via cell signal or radio waves to a, to a host, and it gives you like an hourly update on, you know, the snow depth, the snow water equivalent, the air temperature, wind speed, that sort of stuff. The other sites that get measured get measured on a uh, an, or a monthly basis. They're called snow courses, and so those are scattered across the same areas, but they have a slightly different, um, I guess, elevation banding. So th th those snow courses, since they can be kind of just you know installed and measured less frequently, they're cheaper to have out there on the landscape. Um, so they can be, there could be more of them. You know, the snow tell sites are fairly expensive. 
um, and they're just in a fixed location. A lot of times they have them in the higher elevations. And so these snow courses, the manual measured sites, they're at a lot of times they'll have a low, medium, and high elevation site. And they try to correspond those with a snow tail site so you can get a better idea of what the snowpack is over this range of elevations. Okay. So as you and I have been working on like articles over the years and stuff, and I'm getting a hold of you during the week and hey, Josh, you know, I got a question on this article, whatever. You'll be like, hey, dude, I'm measuring snow today. I'll get back to you on Friday. Is that what you're talking about? Are you out there going to these snow course sites and you know, checking them on a monthly basis? Yeah. So yeah, we measure them at the end of every month, starting um, end of December. And some sites, their last measurement is the end of May. The ones that I measure, they end in uh, end of April. So in two weeks, I'll finish my last rounds of surveys on these manual sites. So what we do is we'll load up snowmobiles, skis, snowshoes, and you know ride in and some places we can snowmobile to it. Some places we have to strap on the snowshoes or skis and, and go in um, by a foot. And then we, we take manual measurements with a set of tubes that we core the snow with. So it'll, you know, you'll have it, they're hollow. So what you're doing is just, you'll get a weight of the empty tube. You drive it to the ground. And you'll record the depth of the snow. You'll give it a few twists to separate the core from the ground and you just kind of lift it up really slow. Then you weigh the whole tube with the core inside of it. Subtract the weight of the empty tube, of course. And that gives you the weight of the snowpack in inches of water. So the scale gotcha. that we use measures in inches of water. And so you'll know what the, the, the amount of water in that snow con or the snowpack is, and you know the depth. So if you divide the water content by the depth that gives you the density. Okay, so gotcha. It, and, and as more snowfall, you know, comes throughout the season, your density start to go up. So a lot of times those early season snows, they come in, you know, they're very, very fluffy. There's there's no weight on top of them to condense them and compact them. So you'll you'll have like, you know, 25, 28, 30% densities. Unless you're in the Pacific Northwest, then a lot of times they come in with rain on top of that, which compacts them. But for the you know the Northern Rockies and most of the Intermountain West, you know the densities starting off in that you know mid 20s, and then by the end of the season when it starts to melt and it starts to compress and it has a lot you know the whole year's snowpack on top of it, you'll start seeing like you know 45 to 50 percent densities in your snowpack so that means you know like half of it is water roughly okay so if you got six inches of snow there's three inches of water in that that would be extremely wet snow yep okay gotcha okay yeah good i knew you'd be the perfect person to geek out on that and i just learned something right there too i always wondered like i, I thought you guys were melting it down to see how much water was there because there's an old <laughs> farmer uh, east of town here that runs a weather station and that's what he does he melts it on his stove and measures it every morning and then you know sends it to somebody and that's probably not even a snow tail site but just measuring <laughs> uh, moisture but yeah obviously you can just weigh it and we know what water weighs uh and and that'll tell you how much is there mm -hmm. yeah so, you know, the automate, so, so the, let me go back to the, the manual measurements. So those are all tabulated. We do 10 at each site and we get an average for that location. And then we sh we'll send that data off to the NRCS and they'll put it in their system and they'll update their, their numbers for this year. And then they can compare it to the, to the period of record. So, 
um, you know, the snow courses were some of the first snow measurement sites installed across the West. Um, a couple of the sites that I measured this year or every year I measure, you know, they, they started in like 1929. Mm -hmm. So there it's a long period of record. So we have a really good long-term established record of, of what the averages are for these sites. The snow tail sites, the automated ones, they're newer technology and they haven't been around that long. A lot of them started going in like in the late sixties, early seventies. So uh -huh. you know, they're missing a good 40 plus years of data that the, the manual measurement sites had picked up. So okay. that's one thing to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. And when we're like, yeah, like the reason this stuff is, is, is so pertinent on a year like this, like we, we have basins in Utah right now that are 225% of normal, um, in, in snow water equivalent. And, um, and, and I've been following pretty close and that's kind of right where the heart of the winter kill is kind of at the triple point of, uh, Idaho, Wyoming, and Utah. And, uh, but when I, when I was doing some research on it, they only had records going back to 1980. I was surprised. And, uh, yeah, you, you're working in an area where you've got, uh, uh, going back to 1929, correct? Yes. And, and some of the other sites I know that have been established, they were established in like 1919, 1914. So, I mean, they're back from the teens. So hundred well years, hundred years of, of data. But if you look at um, Utah, if you, if you go to the NRCS um, map portal, so I'm there right now. Okay. So they've got that interactive map. And if you, if you, if you, click on station inventory at the top of the map and then under your elements you know collect click on uh, stations with all checked elements and then just click snow water equivalent and it should populate with some blue dot dark blue dots and some light blue dots mm -hmm. the light blue dots are the snow courses they're the manual measurements okay the dark blue ones are the snow tell sites and if you look okay. at utah it's lacking um, in the snow course measurements. So they don't have a very long period of record um, in right. snow measurement. It's all relatively new. When I say that, I'm saying like from the 70s on, mm -hmm. maybe even the 80s. Um, so you're not going to see a long standing um, period of record in the state of Utah. Right. Just and, 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 and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on here that, you know, that's why we hear different things on, on the news when, you know, following the meteorologist or whatever. And we've got just like in any research, the bigger sample size you have, the longer time you've been studying something, the more conclusions that you can draw. Now in this, this triple point of, of Utah, Idaho, and Wyoming, I mean, it's, it's bad. I mean, we're, we're seeing uh radio collar data come in, uh, you know, over 70% mortality on adults in these high snowpack areas and 225%, uh, 189%, 228%. This is kind of on the backside of the Wasatch. But, you know, these high snowpacks continue clear over into northwestern Colorado and southwestern Wyoming. Um, and so even though we may not have data going back a long time, you know, this is this is this is going to correlate with winter kill for sure. And um, yet some years you can have you can have a hundred percent of snowpack 
And, and, you know, this is almost bro science right here. So call me out, you know, if I get off the rails here, but okay. I've, I've seen, you know, you can have a hundred percent of snowpack, but you can still have severe conditions. Um, maybe there wasn't a lot of melting between storms. Uh, maybe there's been, um, you know, really cold temperatures for long stretches. Uh, maybe the snowpack came early like this year and pushed the deer onto the winter range three, four weeks early. I documented it on some of these winter ranges around here. There were, you know, there's always a few deer on the winter range early, but you know, the, the deer most, you know, 80, 90% of the deer were on the winter range three or four weeks early. And, and, um, you know, so, so you can tie kind of all that stuff together and, and get an idea of what's going on out there in the landscape, at least from my point of view. Would you agree with that or dispute that, Josh? No, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, where I live, it seems like, you know, it, it's depend like winter kill here depends on how big and how early the first storms are. Okay. So there's a bit, there's been a few years where we've gotten just massive, massive snowstorms in like late November, early December. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the animals can't even make it out of the mountains to the okay. winter range. Or if okay. they do, they struggle hard to get there. So they burn a lot of their reserves to get just out of the mountains into the winter range. You know, I live in an area where we don't have like these well-defined migration routes. Right. So, you know, that's probably a little different when the deer and elk are a little more trained to like head to a certain area once the first snow starts hitting. But I think probably that could be, the, you know, an effect in certain areas where you get these really gnarly deep deep snowpacks it comes in really deep and for a long period of time it it, it puts a hard stress on them right from the get-go mm -hmm. yes I think that could be some of what you're seeing in those normal you know snowpack years right where we where, where we lose some deer you know more than what you would expect mm -hmm. you know um, yeah, because I'm looking at kind of your your end of the country right now, uh, that northwest corner of Montana, uh, and this is on the NR, NRCS map. The one I'm looking at is not the interactive map. If people want to look this up, just just go to Google, use the keywords, you know, west wide snow tail, uh, current uh, snow water equivalent. You can even abbreviate that. Uh, Google's so smart, SWE percentage. And just start pulling these maps up and taking a look at them. But one of my favorite ones is because I can just take a glance kind of west wide from the Canadian border all the way to the Mexican border. Um, but looking at Josh's country up there, you know, I, I don't know the river basins that these are, Josh, but I see 78% uh, up against the Idaho border, 90%. Uh, and 93 in that extreme northwest corner there. Um, yep. and, and, you know, all things being equal, unless something what, like what you just said, you had extremely high snow amounts, like what we saw in 91. Um, you were probably still in diapers then, but um, uh, in 91, <laughs> man, I remember being three or 400% of normal in the first week of November. And, you know, those kind of years, you know, those are the anomalies you got you to think about because we actually ended that winter with drought, um, but that big that big snowstorm, you know, could have hurt a lot of animals in, in places like what, what Josh is talking about. And, and that's why I keep saying that this stuff is important, but it's, it, 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 it's, it's more correlated. Snow water equivalent is more correlated with winter survivability than, than predictive. That's how I would explain it. What about you, Josh? The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. It's the exclusive app of many of the Rockslide staff, including myself. Some of the features of the Onyx Hunt app are nationwide public and private land boundaries, 
topographic and 3D maps, track your route, location, and elevation profile, waypoints, lines, and area shapes, save maps for offline use, and create custom map layers. While many of the competitors have similar features, I find one of the biggest benefits in using the Onyx Hunt app is that my friends have it. Nothing more painful than trying to share a waypoint with someone who doesn't have the app. Another thing I've noticed with Onyx, it's pretty much glitch free. Once you learn how to use the app, you will experience very few, if any, glitches in the app. We find on the Rockslide forum, the guys that are having glitches with Onyx or any of the apps, they just don't know how to use it. Once you learn how to use Onyx, it will be there for you. Some of the member benefits you get with being with Onyx are top rut draw odds. They just added that in 2023. Top rut provides some of the most comprehensive draw odds information in the industry. Onyx is also offering constant upgrades like track trim. When they released that last summer, it really cleaned up my app because I was the guy that would go back to camp with my app on and walk around camp for two hours. And then when I would notice my track, it had these big scribble lines in it. Now you can trim that off. They're constantly offering similar upgrades. So if you're ready to make the jump, head over to onxmaps.com, use the Rockcast promo code, Rockcast, R-O-K-C-A-S-T, save yourself 20%. I agree. Um, the, you know, the, and the snow water equivalent can be a little, I don't know, misleading at times uh-huh. because especially if you're looking at just the snow tail sites that, that it kick, you know, sometimes you can look at it and just, it'll just populate a basement with just snow tail sites. Uh-huh. And, and, and it gives you kind of a false reading because a lot of those sites are really high elevation. And, you know, if you do happen to have like a, like a really wet year that comes in, but uh-huh. it's warmer, you know, mm-hmm. the snow will still accumulate up high, but sometimes in the valleys, it comes in a little wetter and it melts off a little faster and you get a little more sun on it for some reason. So sometimes it doesn't account for a lot of the low elevation snowpack. So, I mean, I, okay. you got to, you got to dive in and, and, and find that information in a different way. Okay, so so really, those are some of the limitations of it. Is it sounds like these measuring sites, whether they're snow tail or manual, they may not be evenly distributed across the elevations. Well, I'm going to say the snow tail sites aren't particularly distributed across the elevations equally. They're more okay. high elevation. The snow okay. courses, so that's you need to dive in and actually look at some of the actual measurements from the snow course measurements. And they have typically, they have a low elevation, a mid elevation and a high elevation site. Okay. A lot of times they'll be in like a, like a, 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 there'll be three of them kind of set up next to one another to kind of look at that whole elevation band. Um, Okay. And that's good to know because that's what, that's really what hunters are kind of, I mean, in the short term, what we're most interested in is, you know, some of these basins I'm looking at in the West right now, they're, 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 they're not that bad, you know, you know, one, 115, 120. Yet I know people in the area that are that are reporting um, severe conditions, Be- and and what they're saying is just that yeah, there's there's not tons and tons of snow, but it came early. It's at low elevations and it stayed a long time. Yes, yeah. So you know if you go to those if you go to the the map portal, the interactive map, and you and you turn on the snow the snow course and the snow tail sites and just start clicking on them and you'll get the 
the actual measurements when they're updated. So gotcha. you can look at the if you look at the data reports, if you you can either look at it a chart format or a table format. But if you just say you open up the table, it will show you what the the snow water equivalent was for the measurement date mm -hmm. on February first and mm -hmm. March first and April first, and it shows you where we sit in that that long term average or median either the depth or the, the amount of water, the snow water equivalent, it'll give you both. Okay. So you can kind of compare, like, where are we at? And how, and how is it stacking up? Are we, is it starting to accumulate? Is it starting to melt? Um, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Maybe we'll mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good to go in and dive into those little, I mean, they're just, you know, it's like a little tiny Excel spreadsheet that opens up when you click on those report generators for each individual site and it lists the elevation that they're at um, and you can dive in and really do some really um, detective work some deep detective work if you want and look at the entire period of record and look at where you fall for the year but it gives you ba the basic bare bones what's on the ground at the last measurement and what was the what's the average for that same time of year Gotcha. And one thing you kind of helped me understand a few years back, which should have been apparent, but I just didn't quite pick up on it, is these maps are always, uh, they're dated. It's too, like the one I'm looking at, this is to April 11th. That's the most recent one I have. And so when they say a basin has 100% of snow water equivalent in April, that's a lot more water than a 200% in November. Correct, Josh? Yes. Most could, likely, yeah. I mean, it, it that depends, but yes, yeah. It, as as the as time, the early. Let me just let me just phrase it this way: the early snowfalls and the the late lingering snowpacks at the end of the water cycle or the snowpack cycle can give you these astronomically high numbers. Like yes. you can you can get a measurement that's nine hundred percent of normal, but there's only say you know, nine inches of snow on the ground when there would be normally like zero. There you so, go. So, so those, those melt rates at the very end typically give you really high numbers. Yeah. I'm looking but, at one basin in Southern Nevada, 2037%. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that, that means that there's quite a bit of snow there where there normally wouldn't be any. Yeah. Gotcha. But and if so that you, was... Two thousand percent in uh, October. That's that's a lot less inches of water, though. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. So yeah. I don't want to geek people out too much on this, <laughs> but it it has to do with the date. You need you need to look at it, it every day or however this works every month whatever. Um, the, the, it's updated, and so the late late in the season when we see these high numbers, that's typically indicative of there's a lot of water on the landscape. Yes. So, you know, and, and another good tool, I keep going back to this, this inter, interactive map, but if you, if you just turn on like the station conditions and look at the snow water equivalent and click on a snow tail site, it will populate a graph that shows you um, the current water year. Mm -hmm. so the water year starts in October 1. Yep. And it shows you the snowpack accumulation, but it'll also show you what the maximum amount measured at that site was for the period of record. Okay. And it'll also show you um, all these, uh, like the 75th percentile and the 
the 50th percentile and it'll show you the minimum as well but it will show you the um the median peak so the date that the snowpack typically peaks out for this site and it'll show you the melt rate as well your average melt rate okay gotcha so it'll, it'll show you if you if where you're at in you know in the historic range for the peak and where you're at time-wise for the peak or is the peak does it look like it peaked earlier does it look like it's going to peak later mm -hmm. and is the is it going to melt out at the same rate and if it does you can kind of predict if the weather stays sort of on a, a similar trajectory you know say it's going to be cold and kind of sort of or if it's going to get really hot you can kind of predict when it might melt out at that site but okay. You can, real, you can see how this year's snowpack compares to the to the average, like on the melt rate and at its peak. Yeah, that's so good to know because um, you know I, I <clears throat> I've just been burning up ink in my printer all these years. I print these off at the end of the year, um, and then just throw them in a in a file. Um, but because I didn't know there was any way to look at a historical. Um, average for for that now does it calculate it for the 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 snow water equivalent can you look at a historical um average for an entire basin or can you only do it for that snow tail site or that snow course site yeah yes there is a way to look at it for the basin but i these this map is pretty complex and there's so many yes. different buttons to push yeah um, well, I this just, is for the one in 20 guys that's geeking out. We just yeah. want to let him know that, hey, it's out there if you want to go play with it. Yeah, you you yeah. could find there, it. There is a way to to look at these numbers by the basin. Yeah. And or if you if, look at it by the station. There you go. Yeah. And so, if you're just 1980s mullet man, Robbie Denning, just just push yeah. the print button on the printer on April 1st. That's what I do right around in there. And I can kind of get a, a feeling looking back at, 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 at those um, old maps and remembering. And I usually write right on the map how our winter kill was. And and, and that's why you know, I, I don't have maps from 83, 84 and 84, 85. Excuse me, 82, 83, 84, 85, I think, is our bad winners here, just right here. I don't have those. Um, there was no internet then. But, you know, starting in the late 90s, I have them. And um, they've been very predictive. With, if we have high snow water equivalents, all of the things being equal, uh, they've been pretty predictive of winter kill. And I saw it in 96, 97 here. Um, I saw it in 07, 08. Uh, 2010, 11, 2016, 17, and and then again, I think 2022, 2023 is going to be one for the books. At uh, least in the, I, I'm in the Central Rockies, right, Josh? Um, I yeah, I would still call you in the Northern Rockies. But... Northern Rockies. I will be in the, you know, I'll I'll be in that 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 part of the map, and everything I'm looking at around here is 170 percent. Uh, 230%, get over into central Idaho. Some of those basins are in the 160s, 170s, 150s. Um, you know, I, I'll just say it. There are going to be a, some le less deer in those basins. But as we get out of those, up into Montana, you guys are looking pretty good, Josh. I mean, I see a lot of things in the 90s and the 100s. You know, we, 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 we don't want to just have perpetual drought. It's good to get 100, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we need snow. You know, we are, well, as a hydrologist, you know, I, I always look at this stuff and try to predict and, and 
figure out what's going to happen from a flooding standpoint, but I also try to figure out what's going to happen from a low flow standpoint. Like mm -hmm. what are our stream flows going to be in late, the late season? So August, September, which, you know, that kind of ties into hunting as well. You sure. want to have some water coming out of your natural springs and seeps. You want to have it available when you're backpacking and be able to find it, you know, mm -hmm. in more places than not. So it, it really does drive your low flow scenarios later in the season in the dry sure. parts of the year. And then it's, then it's correlated to habitat condition. When Wyoming got really got in trouble in the, I don't remember exactly the years, we had some real droughty stuff, you know, late 90s into the 2000s. Um, winter kill was not bad, but the deer herd was not doing well. And, and it got down to the, to the, you call it low, low flows, low flows are correlated with, there's just not a lot of water on the landscape to grow your bit, your antelope bitter brush, your service berry, all the things that the deer need, you know, year round to, to be healthy. And right. so, you know, I, all things being equal, if I was God, I'd have a hundred percent snowpack every year and I'd have a good, <laughs> good, good dose of rain in uh, you know, April and May. And I, and I, th I think that would shock people at how well mule deer would do if they just had that. But, you know, being that they live in a world of extremes and so do we, it's, it's good to understand all this stuff and kind of get an idea of what's going on. Something interesting too, Josh, I learned this at a convention I went to here in early March, mule deer days and uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming, there were some biologists down there and some habitat biologists. One thing we had going for us this year that we haven't always had going was many of these deer on these uh, winter ranges had high body fat percentage, and that was correlated to the uh, the, the cool, wet spring of 2022 last year. We didn't have real high snowpacks. We had decent survivability for the deer, um, but we, we had good timely moisture that came in and just really helps the habitat. And then the does are able to put on more fat, bucks too. And, you know, that just makes the herd a little more resilient. Um, I think the winter went a little too long for them this year to take a uh, huge advantage of that and offset it, but it's definitely better than 92, 93 when the deer were coming off of five years of drought, you, you know, the, ha all the habitat biologists were freaking out, you know, the leaders on the bitter, bitter brush were short. We were losing bitter brush. It was just bad. And then we got a hard winter on top of that. And that's when we saw, you know, West wide, just some, some major, major reductions in deer. And if we don't get that this year, West wide, it's, it's just, going to be because of the habitat was in a little better shape going into this event yeah i mean bringing it back to, to snowpack you know that stuff drives soil moisture and, and you know you need moisture in your soil to grow vegetation so healthy vegetation comes from having moist soils and the southwest has been in a drought for such a long time that you know these high snowpack levels down there I think are needed more than they're, they're hindering anything, in, you know, like in Southern Utah and, and Arizona and New Mexico. So yep, it's, it's, it's good. It's good to have that, that mix. Yep. It's almost a different planet down there. What hurts us up here helps them down there. Yeah. And what uh, helps them down there hurts us up here. It's just, just how it is, you know, just the different climates that mule deer live in. And, you know, I'm looking at the snow water equivalent down in, you know, Southern Utah, uh, and northern arizona man we're like a lot of them in the 300s 200s 180s 
if that was up here, we, you know, we'd be looking at epic winter kill. We might be anyways in some places, right. but, <laughs> but I mean, they're, 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 they're not going to experience that. And that's exactly what they need to get their fawn production up. And, you know, three, four years later, have some good bucks on the landscape and all that. And I, I had one other question on this, uh, uh, to, to Josh, some places on this map are completely, uh, white and they have no numbers. Does that just mean that is not a basin that accumulates snowpack or it's just not measured there? What does that mean? Uh, it means that it's, well, if you look to the Eastern United States and Midwest, that means that they don't have any measurement sites out there, but these, these closed basins, mm -hmm. like there's one in central Wyoming, it, mm -hmm. it's a closed basin. So it doesn't flow anywhere. So okay. it does, it's not use useful to collect. It will probably doesn't accumulate much snow anyway, Okay. it doesn't flow into a drainage. I see. I see. All these other ones are fairly, con they're connected. So they'll they'll flow into our river system. And so this snowpack is used, you know, in multiple ways. And one of them is to predict runoff and reservoir operations and irrigation, you know, flow. Yeah, sure, sure. And all that good information. So, um, you know, that's the main reason this stuff is collected, but it's useful for us as hunters to be able to, you know, look at the conditions and, and strategize and where we're going to hunt and where we're, you know, not going to apply to and so on and so forth. Oh yeah. We're, we're, we're typical bunch of Bubba hunters, you know, who cares about food production and reservoir storage? We just want to know, are there going to be any big bucks out there? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I think most people care that their wildlife are, you know, winter killing or dying sure. or stressed. So, and I, you know, and I think, a lot of state management agencies have, have really latched on to utilizing this data to um, manage like recreation seasons. Like oh, yeah, you bet. And, and just, just area closures to keep mm -hmm. just everybody out. I think there's some area closures in stated down in like on the Caribou, Targhee down in that area. Because of road damage, bridge damage, no, danger I think to the just, public? I, I think it's to alleviate stress on wildlife oh yeah okay yeah I, I area closures yes exactly dude we've got we've got several of them going on right now and and those you're right those are good things and you know those are related to this you know this level measuring snowpack and all that other stuff and you know it sounds like your job is secure josh <laughs> yeah right now it, it seems to be <laughs> yeah well awesome man um uh anything else we need to add to this Man, I can't think of anything. I, you know, I would just recommend folks just, you know, that are really curious, they can dive in and produce all sorts of different products, you know, looking at depth and snow water equivalent, and even, you know, soil temperature, there's certain soil temperature sites that are measured. And you can overlay that with some of these depths. And um, yeah, it, it, I would say there's, the data transparency is high at the NRCS and it's mm -hmm. relatively fun and you can geek out. And I, I highly recommend people to dive in and, and try to figure this stuff out and utilize it, you know, the best they can. I'm with you, man. And that's why I wanted to have an expert on the podcast to, so people can understand this a little bit better and, you know, what, how they can use it, what its limitations are, how it's measured, where it's at. Uh, but for, for anybody that wants to learn a little bit more in the least, just type in NRCS, Westwide Snow, Snowtail Current uh, Water Equivalent, you know, those keywords. 
pull up that map and screenshot it. You're going to get a map that goes from uh, the Canadian border to the Mexican border. Take a screenshot of that. We may not go this way again for another 20 years. There is more blue on that map than west wide than I have seen in in a long time. Even 1617, I my memory's a little foggy. I, I on kind of how it affected the West. But, you know, I, I just know along this kind of spine of the continental divide around here, you know, we, we had some 180 to 220 snowpacks around here, but then it kind of mellowed out in other places where this year, my goodness, from uh, Eastern Wyoming, and this map doesn't go into the Dakotas. It's probably that way over there too, but, you know, Eastern Wyoming clear to the almost coastal Oregon, uh, just, just an amazing amount of, of high snowpack that's out there. So, for those of you that are interested, take a look at that. And uh, uh, thanks for listening in on the podcast. Josh, thank you so much for coming on, dude. This was super helpful. And uh, we'll do it again sometime, okay? Yeah, absolutely. No problem, Robbie. Good good discussion. I enjoyed okay. it. Have a good one. Okay.